the optimal life. So I came across your profile and found it to be very fascinating, the, the type of stuff that you're talking about. I want to hear your journey because the journey of, of somebody that goes through such a frustrating circumstance where you're trying to conceive children and trying and trying and trying and not getting the results while you're watching everyone else around you get those results has to be terribly frustrating. So why don't we start with your background and story, Francis? Talk to us a little bit about what it was like when you first started trying to conceive many years ago. Okay, thank you so much. Um, I would like to start with a little of my personal background as my family is concerned. I came from a very fertile family. My mom conceived 10 times. She had another sister that conceived 10 times, another that conceived seven. All of my sisters were able to have children. All of my nieces, with the exception of one who will be trying very soon, were able to. But I was the only one in my family that could not have children. Now, coming from a large family and wanting to have a large family, that was very discouraging and hurtful for me. And the reason I say that is because when an individual who comes from especially a background like that finds out that she is barren, that brings forth so much hurt and heartache. Now, when I first met my husband, he had a little girl. She was age four and a half, almost five years old when I met him. And when he and I married, I became a full-time instant mom. He had full custody of her. And so I'm excited because, hey, I'm getting a chance to be a mother and to love this little girl. But issues crept up where she and I began to have conflict because she was caught in the middle of her biological mother trying to please her and trying to be happy with me. I had no idea that I was going to deal with what I was going to deal with. I remember my very first Mother's Day, my husband and I, we married in the fall. And so Mother's Day coming up in May, I'm very excited. We're all planning on having a wonderful day. I used to sing in the choir at church. So after services, a lot of the women came up to me, giving me congratulations because they knew this was my, my first Mother's Day. There was a lady that walked up to me that was in the choir as well. And she gave me a big hug and had this big smile and her arms wide open. And she told me, Happy Mother's Day even though you're not a real mother. So now you're looking at the fact, I didn't even know I was going to be dealing with infertility, but here it is in the mind of some people because you're not the biological mother, you're not a real mother. Now multiply all of that with me not being able to have children. My father-in-law, right before my husband and I got married, he gave me a mother, I mean a father, soon to be daughter-in-law talk. And the thing that he said to me that stayed in my mind years later is that, you know, my son, he really loves children. And I told him, yes, sir, I understand that. He said, no, I want you to understand he really, really loves children. So I know he was telling me in those words that, hey, family is important. Children is important. Now, compile all that together, being told that I wasn't a uh, a mother because I wasn't biological mother. My husband's father telling me how important it is for his son to be able to have children. And one more thing to add to the pie, when I was age 19, I was having a conversation with a, an acquaintance and she came from a very large family as I did. And the thing that she said to me was, just in a common conversation, she said, do you want children? I said, yes, I want children. She said, well, how many do you want? I immediately told her I want five children. 
So she said to me, you want five kids? You are a real woman. Now, fast forward, all of these different things going through my mind. I'm a real woman because I just want to have five children. I'm not a mother because I'm not the biological mother. My husband wants to have children. I'm not able to give him those children. I'm coming from a very large fertile family and not able to have children. So yes, all that compiled together, I began to beat myself up. I used to tell myself that I was damaged goods, that something I had done to cause all of that. And so just going through that whole cycle, disappointment after disappointment was very heart-wrenching for me. Take us behind the scenes, peel back some of those layers. You're going through it. You're young. You said you were 19, 20 years old. I was 19 when I had that conversation, not when I got married. And you got married at what age? I was 31. 31. Okay. So 12 years later, it's like, okay, it's time. I still remember my conversation at 19. Here we go. I'm 31 years old. I'm married. I have a stepchild. And it's time for me to finally do this thing that I've wanted to do for a long time. And I better get on it quickly because if I want five kids, we we know at this point it's going to be it's going to be quite a bit. So take us behind the scenes. Your first year of marriage after that Mother's Day. Let's start there. You're going through the months and you guys are trying and then it doesn't happen. And then you try and it doesn't happen. You try. How long is does it go on for, Francis, before you start feeling maybe some uh, angst and tension within the home? Well, because my mom had me when she was 41 years old and she had my brother at age 44, it never was a concern to me. Hey, I'm at 30, age 31. I'm, I don't have much time. I thought I had plenty of time. So that was never my concern. I always believed that I would be able to because of the fertile family that I came from. But to answer your question, here we are. My husband, after a few months of trying, because, you know, I'm thinking, you know, fertility is going to come easy for me. I'm coming from a black family who's very fertile. But after a few months had passed and I wasn't getting pregnant, I began to wonder what was going on. And so I told my husband that, you know, I think I want to get checked out. Now, prior to that, even before he and I met, I used to have horrific pain during those time of the month. And I did not know what was causing it. Now, my family was not the type of family that openly talked about personal things on that level. My mom was born in 1925. That just wasn't a topic that was really discussed in the family. So I kept a lot of that to myself. And the reason I did that, because I'm a very private person, but because it wasn't common to talk about it. And what I did not realize is that that pain that I was dealing with, along with some other things, were signals that there was something going wrong. Now, my husband and I had been married for a few months, and we decided, hey, we're trying to get pregnant immediately because I wanted to be able to give my stepdaughter, which we never used the word step in our household, but that was her choice. But either way, um, I wanted to give her siblings. She was a, a, a only child. So I wanted to be able to add to the family. So when I was not able to get pregnant and I began to get concerns, I told my husband, I want to get checked out. He agreed. So when I went to get checked out, they thought it was something else that was going on with me. They thought it was pelvic inflammatory disease because I was having so much pain. And there was a cyst that was growing on one side of the ovary and then it would grow on the other side. And so all this was going back and forth. But then after time continued to pass and I continued to have that pain and I wasn't getting pregnant, I went to see someone else that was recommended to me. And that person made a decision that let's do a laparoscopy. 
And I don't know if you know what a laparoscopy is, but that's basically a minor procedure where they tape a, a take a, an instrument with a light and they go inside of the womb and they look around to see what's going on. And so when the doctor did that procedure, he realized that I had scarring and adhesions all over my ovary production system. What they basically came up and said it was severe endometriosis. So that was when I discovered part of the culprit that was going on in my life and what was stopping me partially from being able to have children. And so the, the, the scarring was so bad that my ovaries were literally glued to my back. All they could do was unstick them and try to flow blue dye through one. It flowed through one, the other tube, it didn't. And so I had to go on what you call Lupron for six months because what the doctor wanted to do was kill the life source of the endometriosis. And so it put me in menopause, but there was a lot of discomfort that went along with that. I didn't mind the discomfort because I thought if it resulted in me getting the ability to have a child, I was willing to deal with it. Now, as it related to my husband, he always supported me. He went through a lot of the things that I was going through as far as like getting his uh, having an analysis done to make sure that he wasn't the problem. He was always there with me with the appointments, always encouraging me, always supporting me. But the one thing he could not do was understand what I was dealing with because he had a biological child. And so even though he was trying to support me and encourage me, he really didn't know the heartache I was dealing with. And I also really didn't really tell him because I thought he wouldn't understand. Mm -hmm. I didn't really tell anybody the depth of the emotional pains that I was dealing with because all of my sisters had children. They could offer encouraging words, but they don't know how I feel because they're not experiencing that. The people that I knew weren't really experiencing it. So Frances hurt herself by keeping that pain inside. Did but you think when you got the diagnosis, did you believe that you were still, it sounds like you believe that after this procedure, you still thought there was a chance that you would be able to, to bear a child. Is that correct? Yes. For quite a while, I believe that. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, my mom, <laughs> she was able to have kids at age 44. So I still believe that whatever was going on would get resolved. It was not until I came to that final moment where after a few years had passed and things weren't getting better, not only was I diagnosed with endometriosis, but it was also low egg reserve and low egg count. And so that made things more complicated. But the doctor gave us some options. And one of the options was artificial insemination. And so I went through several rounds of that, very optimistic. But every time when it was time to do the sonogram and the ultrasound, and I saw an empty womb, my hope began to deplenish more and more. And How so those, did it make you feel as you're going through this process? How long was this going on for? I mean, it sounds like you you did this fairly early. You got this procedure done fairly into early into your marriage. Um, and then you have the six-month process. So, uh, again, how long was this going on for? Was this years and years in the making by the time you got to the artificial insemination uh, stage? No, between... Um... The time when I was diagnosed was endometriosis and then to the time when I actually went to a, a specialist, it was probably maybe three and a half, four years time with me trying to get some medical help. Mm. So you're but, 35 at that point. Um, um, yeah, I'm about 35. Mid, mid 30s, still no baby. The, through all the ups and downs, I mean, it's it sounds like it was, this had to have a tremendous impact on 
your personal life, on your professional life, probably uh, on your relationship with your husband, as much as it sounds like he's understanding you, you can't, I mean, for four years, especially for a woman that wanted to bear five children and you still haven't gotten to number one yet, that had to be, there had to be some real low moments for you. Yeah, there was because, I mean, even though I wasn't, I got to the point where we medically were not trying, I still was hoping that I would get pregnant. And so the the things that were very difficult for me is that the mind is very powerful. And I began to imagine that I was having pregnancy symptoms. So I was hop on the internet and I'm searching these symptoms and things that weren't really there, but my mind tricked me. So disappointment after disappointment, I can't count the amount of pregnancy tests that I got did in secret that were silent, that were uh, false. And that I hurt after that. And so the tears that I cried, especially having arguments and, you know, disagreements with my my stepdaughter and she pulling away from me. So it was so much heartache that I was going through. My husband and I, we didn't really have conflict as it related to that because he was very supportive. But the thing that I did to myself is what was the worst because I call myself damaged good. And I even began to believe that I deserved it. You believe that you weren't worthy to bear yeah. a child. Yeah, I really did. Let, let me ask you. So was the sex aspect of your life? I, I'd imagine that when it's, you're trying so hard to do something, like it's kind of a, a mission at this point, I would imagine that the sex aspect had to feel almost transactional for you because you were trying so desperately to conceive a child. Is that is that a fair statement? I think we lost. And she's gone. Well, hopefully she'll come back on here shortly and we can get to it. Um, and there she is, and she's back. Yeah, I'm sorry. I have back. no idea what happened. <laughs> so did you hear my last question? I heard part of it. You've so scared. my question for you is when you're trying so hard to conceive a child for, for years in the making, was the having sex itself, was it, it, it had to lose its in, normal, natural enjoyment, I would imagine, because you're trying so hard to create this human and bear a child. It had to become like some type of transactional thing, at least for you, I would think, maybe more so than for your husband. Is that a fair statement? think maybe at times I would say that yes that's true um because like you said you, you you're wanting to 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 bring forth this life but you want to bring this life forth in love and so because the love was so strong and the comforting was so available at times yeah it was transactional but it wasn't for the most part because it was such a loving environment as far as my husband and I were concerned Okay, so that didn't have a, a tremendous impact on on your sex life. I'd imagine some of your clients, though, that's got to be a, a common theme. It can be. Um, you know, there there have been clients who really had challenges being connected with their husband. Um, there were some clients that had physical pain because of what was going on in their body. And so it was difficult because of the pain and trying to conceive and still deal with that pain. Yeah, that pain has got to be 
That's yeah. got to be very difficult because not only are you not conceiving, but it's painful every time you're trying. Yes. So it's the double whammy. Yeah. You mentioned your mom didn't like to talk about it. You mentioned you didn't want to really talk about it with your husband. And that brings me to, again, back to your bio. Do you believe, is that a, a, is that a Francis Jones family kind of thing? Or is that a, a natural kind of common theme in the black community? This is taboo. I don't want to seem weak. We don't talk infertility. Which one was it? Um, it's a taboo in the black community, honestly, because, you know, there is a stigma that it's very easy for women in the African community, African-American community to get pregnant. Um, you see a lot of unwed mothers in the black community. And, you know, one thing about it, I have never been critical of that because I think it's such a gift to be able to conceive life. Is something I was not able to do. But yet it's a taboo because people think that black people can get pregnant very easily, but that's not true. The stats are changing. And so women in the African-American community, according to statistics that I've seen, they have one to two, one and a half to two times more challenges being getting pregnant than white women. So we're having harder times getting pregnant than the white community. Why so is that? Well, it could be a variations of things, you know, and I would like to press that they're saying, you know, that I'm not a medical professional and I'm just speaking based off of my own personal experience and things that I have read. But I believe because like with me personally, I didn't go get checked out soon enough. Maybe when I was having all of that pain and I would go and find out, maybe that diagnosis could have been found out sooner before everything got out of control. And so I believe that our you know, in the African-American community for some, that going to the doctor is not a big importance. And so at least that wasn't for me. I didn't feel that I had that need, a reason to go. And so, like I said, when things got out of control is when I decided to really go, when the pain just got to the point where, hey, I can't deal with this anymore, is when I made a decision. And I'm in my 30s when I did that. But what is it? What is it about this stigma? What, what I mean... Why is it so difficult for a black woman, according to you and according to the research that you've seen, why is it so difficult to voice, hey, I'm having a problem with fertility? It's not like this is a choice. It's not like it's, hey, I'm having a problem losing 20 pounds, where that's more of a choice in most instances, or I'm having problem, uh, stop quitting smoking. Again, a choice. Why do you believe that this fertility thing then is so difficult for the black women to, to voice? And we lost her again. So the, folks, while we wait for her to get back, um, this is a very unique oh, and a thing. There she is again. Did you hear my question, Francis? We keep losing you. Yeah. Um, why do I feel that there's a problem with this stigma? So Yeah, I mean, you heard my my examples, my analogies of losing weight. Yes. And and, and, and quitting smoking again. Mm -hmm. So those those are choices. I could see you being embarrassed about that, people being embarrassed. Why are they having such difficulty saying, Hey, I'm having a problem with fertility? It's not my choice. What is it? Well, let me speak first for myself. Um the culture that I was raised in. See, my family were sharecroppers. 
And your family was who? I'm sorry. Sharecroppers. Shell croppers. Sharecroppers. Sharecroppers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Farmers. Farmers. Okay. Never heard that term, sharecropper. Okay. Yes. So, yes, that's the culture that I came from, that I was raised in. And so when you look at the the farming industry, a lot of times back in the day, especially the the the, the wealth of the, the family, so to speak, or the livelihood of the family was based on the size of the family. Because the more people that you had in your family, the more people that could work in the fields and be able to bring forth those crops. Now, if you're looking at a cultural thing, and if a cultural thing is that women are able to get pregnant easily, and now all of a sudden, what was easy for everyone else is not easy for you, then you begin to look at yourself, at least I did, that I was like the oddball out. And so just looking at the fact that, like I said, all of my sisters were able to have children. Now, if I am the barren one in the family, and I was, and if everyone is celebrating their ability to have children and everyone is remarking how how their children look like them and and I'm hearing, well, they're your nieces, you know, your blood run through them. You look like them, too. But knowing that I would never be able to create life, I would never be able to have the thing that they had. True, that is something that I could not control, but the mind was not saying those things to me. The mind was saying that there's something wrong with you. Mm. You don't fit in. There's something different about you. Francis the outcast. Yeah, basically in my mind, they didn't say that to me, but that's how I felt. And and what do you, so to take us through it then, what is, what are you doing as you get moved down the road? Uh, you never conceived the child yourself, correct? Right, correct. Okay, so what did you do? How did you find peace with this finally? What did you do to change course and start looking at this thing in a different lens? Okay, well, there are several things that I actually did. Um, because of everything I was going through, I completely lost myself. I forgot about the wonderful person that Frances was, the joy that she brought, the happiness that she had, the beautiful things that she had going on in her life. And so because I lost myself, I had to go back and find myself again. I went on a self-discovery journey, and I went all the way back to my youth and remembered the things that brought me joy, the things that brought me peace, and reconciling Frances again. And what I was able to determine is that It wasn't anything that I had done wrong. I wasn't cursed. I wasn't an individual that deserved it. It was just a part of my body that wasn't operating as it should. Back then, I couldn't see that. And so when I began to just really, really understand that it's just, it's no different than having high blood pressure. It's no different than having high cholesterol or any other ailment. Infertility is a disease. I did not realize that I thought it was a a punishment, so to speak. And if I was feeling like I was being punished, then that's an embarrassment in itself. So I reconciled everything, got back to really knowing who Francis was. And then I began to realize after I came out of that pain that there were others who were yet stuck. And so I started doing things, giving gifts of love, showing love for others who and appreciation for others who were able to have children. As an example, when I came to finally accept that I wasn't going to be able to have children, I had medication, fertility medicines that was left over. 
So what I did was I wrote a letter to the fertility clinic and I told them that I wanted to donate the remainder of my medicines because those medicines can be expensive. So I wanted to donate the remainder of my medicines to someone who had a better chance medically to have mm -hmm. children, but may not have been able to afford the medicines. And I felt in some small way, I was helping them to be able to have something that I wasn't able to have myself. So I began to give gifts of love and to sow seeds into the lives of others. And I took the focus off of me and what I was dealing with and began to put the focus on helping other people. And so the more I did that, the more I was able to let go of the hurt, let go of the pain. I took the focus off Francis and put it on other people. Do you feel like this is stuck with you still, though, to this day? Because just getting to talk to you for the last half hour, I get a sense of sorrow uh, looking at you when you talk about this type of stuff. Your energy is a little bit uh, reserved. Has Have you always been this way? Or do you believe that because of the challenges in your adult life, this kind of still has shaped you into the woman that you are today? Well, it definitely shaped me into the woman I am today. Because the thing about it is that I was able to take what I was going through and find purpose in it. I was able to realize that there are so many others who are yet dealing with what I had once dealt with. Now, when I wrote the book, Overcoming the emotional stigmas of infertility, barren but not ashamed. Yes, that's a journey of my over 20 years of never being able to have children. But it also talks about how I was able to get out. But the thing about it is that just because I overcame it does not mean that I never feel it. When I do feel it, I know how to do deal with it. And I know the techniques to pull myself out of it so it won't consume me. And so that's the whole thing. It's not like I walk around oblivious to people who are pregnant. But I also realized that just because I wasn't able to have children, I still am valuable. Where in the past, I thought I wasn't. So just reconstructing my mind to look at what the possibilities are, look at what I have rather than what I don't have. Look at what I can do rather than what I can't do. What I can give and not focus on what I can't have. And that makes all the difference in the world. Mm, that's very powerful. Did you ever adopt? Yes, my husband and I adopted two brothers. They were under the age of five when we adopted them. And how long ago was that? Oh, about 18 years ago. 18 years ago. So they're they're in their 20s now. Yes, they're in their twenties. So, what was that like for you? Was that a a huge? Did, did that did that fill the void? Did you ultimately feel like the 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 mother after you had them for some period of time? What was that feeling like? Well, so you look at the fact that I had three children now, a stepdaughter and two adopted sons, and at first. Everything was just so wonderful. It was just rejoicing, right? Because I have this, this family that I always wanted to have. But see, what a misconception is, in my opinion, is that people feel like all you have to do is have children in the house and everything is wonderful. But when you desire to care for life, that desire does not disappear because you have children in the house. And so some people feel like it's like a quick Band-Aid going through adoption. And the reason I say that is because it didn't fix the missing piece that I was still longing to carry forth life. And nine years after the adoption, I woke up in tears asking God, 
why was I denied the ability to have children? See, the desire to care for his life didn't go away, even though I had children there. And so that goes back to what I was saying earlier, is that focusing on what you don't have and what you can't do, rather than focusing on what you did have and what you you know, can do for others. It sounds like you think that if you had your own child biologically, that you would have loved that child more than the love that you had for those two boys. Am I reading you correctly? No, you're not. Um, because I have such a great love for children. It wasn't about them being adopted or not adopted. It was just about not being able to do something that other women were able to do. Now, one thing I will be open and honest about is that I had this fear of loss. Because I was dealing with my stepdaughter. She decided that she wanted to go live with her biological mother because she felt something missing in her life. And I began to have the fear that one day my sons would desire to have their biological mother in their life and they would leave me as well. And I felt that if I had a biological child, I wouldn't have that fear of that child walking away from me. But it did not diminish the amount of love that I had for one child versus the other. It was just that comfort zone of knowing that I had that special bond that other mothers have when they have biological children, if that makes sense at all. It does. That makes sense. Because you hear stories of other people that actually have conceived children and then yet adopted. Mm -hmm. And they quite often say the love, you can't tell the difference. Right. You can't, you would never know the difference over the course of time. These kids become, they become your own. Yes. They become you. They become part of your life. You know, I've thought about my kids. If one of them was um, was uh, mis misplaced at birth in the hospital, and one of my daughters truly wasn't my biological daughter, you think I would take my biological if they figured it out, called me all these years later? Absolutely not. Right. Because that person, that kid becomes your life. I mean, exactly. it's just a bizarre, it's it's very, very interesting how that works. Yeah. Um. So you did, we're getting close to finishing up. You talked about your book, uh, again, uh, Overcoming uh, the Emotional Stigmas of Infertility. And we'll link it in the show notes. What Talk to us a little bit about your book and, and who the target audience is for. Okay. So there are a few things that I wanted my book to do. Like I said, overcoming the emotional stigmas of infertility, barren but not ashamed, is my personal story of my journey through infertility. But it's also the story of so many other women. I have had numerous women to have contacted me and say that when I read or when they read my book, it's like I have read their life. It's like I'm talking about them. So there's such a strong connection because I'm very open with what I dealt with. The book does a few things. Number one, for those who are dealing with infertility and are yet stuck with those negative emotions, it's to help them move forward and to get to a position where infertility is no longer controlling your life. The second thing is for those who have never dealt with infertility personally, but have friends and family and co-workers who have, it's to bring awareness to them 
because there are conversations that people are having with us that can be considered very insensitive. And so I want people who are not personally impacted by infertility to understand what those of us who are are dealing with. And Mm -hmm. so they can be more aware and cognizant of the things that they say to us because some things are very hurtful. So the book is not only for people experiencing fertility issues, but it's also for other people to make them more empathetic to people in those shoes. Exactly. So it, it, it's it's really out there for anybody to uh, learn something from, it sounds exactly. like. Exactly. And see, that some of the techniques, or actually all of the techniques that I use in my book, infertility was the evil villain in my story, but challenges are challenges. And my book shows you how to move past challenges in your life and focus on the things that you can have rather than what you can't. So it's not just about infertility. You can move the word infertility out and place what your issue is, what your challenge is. Mm. And that book will still apply. The book will be linked in the show notes as well as your website, heartdesirescoaching.com. You guys, if you're interested in learning more about Frances Jones and her mission and her company and the consultancy that she provides, um, click a link in the show notes. My last question for you is the following. Uh, somebody's listening to this and they're going, oh my God, this is me. This is my, this is, we're dealing with the same issues that Francis was dealing with back when she was in her thirties. We're having the, the very difficult time of conceiving. What's your message to them? Okay. So the first thing I would like to say to you, if you are dealing with the issues that I dealt with in infertility on any level, is that be kind and loving to yourself. Understand that you're a wonderful person and having a child is a wonderful thing and it's a beautiful desire. But having a child does not necessarily guarantee happiness. And so the things that we look for that are external should be focused on the things that are internal. That's where true happiness comes from. And so look within and stay connected with yourself. If your your spouse and infertility is not just a woman's issue, men are having infertility issues as well. And so a lot, there are people who actually divorce because their husbands are not able to have children or their wives. So the thing about it is let love rule. That's something my husband taught me a long time ago when I was dealing with infertility because I was letting everything but love rule. I was letting the hurt and the pain and the heartache. And I began to focus on the love. So whatever brought you and your husband together, the love that was there, It's the love that's going to help you make it through. So cling to one another. Husbands, support your wives. Wives, support your husband. Be kind and loving to each other. And realize that there is light on the other side of the tunnel. I have been through the tunnel, and I'm in the light. Mm. And I know that infertility does not have to take your peace and your joy and your happiness. That's something that we relinquish. Focus on the things that you're thinking and the words that you're saying out of your mouth. See, I thought and believed that I was barren and I actually created barrenness in my life. So pay attention to what you're saying and what you're thinking. And if you realize that you are creating a life that you don't want, you are able to change that. Respond the way you want things to happen in your life. So if you're thinking negative, it's your response. How are you responding to situations in your life? And in the end, I promise you, if you keep the faith, and hold on, whether you're able to conceive a child or not, 
you still can have peace and joy and happiness in life. Perfectly said. Francis Jones, thank you very much and continued success and blessings to you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.